Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Rowe. He's Kyle Jacobson. Actually, he's Money Mainville. Kyle will join us shortly. Uh, basketball going on. Coach Gas, first time. Uh, a loser twice in a row for Texas Tech, or at least. No, wait, this is the first uh, back-to-back losses. Yes? All right. So first time ever he's dealing with back-to-back losses. Uh, losing to TCU in Fort Worth, which we said wasn't a big deal, and then losing to Cincinnati in Lubbock, a little bit bigger of a deal. But let's talk about it. Uh, what do you, what do you, what did you see this week uh, to lead to two losses? And furthermore, um, how much stock are you taking in that TCU game now that we've we've kind of passed it by? Yeah, so I thought the the TCU game was was kind of interesting because I I didn't really feel like that was a, a bad loss per se. You know, you were on the road um, against a TCU team that I think is really good. Micah Peavy was just sharpshooting four of four from downtown, absolutely unheard of for him to do that. Uh, but really, I thought that TCU loss just kind of highlighted some some key issues for your team, and those mainly being you're not playing good enough defense right now. And you're undersized. I think one of those things you can continue to improve on, which is just, you know, finding some sort of defensive rhythm. Um, obviously, you know, the size, not only down low, but on the perimeter too, I think that's a that's a key strength for TCU. I think th- those are issues that you've kind of got to take in stride. And then Cincinnati, Cincinnati game, uh, just kind of flat. And I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on, you know, maybe some of the reasons as to why. Um but just not not really your best game, not your most polished game. Um, certainly, like a, a lot of fights still. I, I thought they played decent basketball, especially in the first half. I thought that first half was was pretty good on the offensive end. Um, and then we'll highlight some individual efforts, I'm sure later. But overall, I think you, you kind of your issues were reiterated in the TCU game. They were put on full display. I think in Cincinnati, it didn't really play out that way. I thought they had an opportunity to to kind of get an advantage down low. Um, I thought that happened defensively a little bit, but offensively, uh, just not your night shooting the basketball. You had guys like Joe Toussaint only making a single bucket the entire game. Just can't happen, um, especially in, in this conference. Like no, no team is a gimme. The Cincinnati team, they're a good defensive team. And so I think, you know, you needed a, a more well-rounded approach um, to knock off that team. And Warren Washington, who has had incredible touch around the rim in Big 12 play, uh, looked like he had zero touch around the rim. I don't think he made a bucket in the first half. I think he shot two free throws um, for his points in the first half. But Joe Chusant, the only starter who didn't score in the first half, and then he fouled out at the end and was not on the floor in crunch time. So. Not a very exciting performance from Joe Toussaint. Uh, I will say, uh, not a ref guy, not a blame the ref guy, but there were some issues in officiating this weekend in the Big 12. And we'll go back to that TCU game with the flop call. Um, it kind of hurt the momentum of the road team for Texas Tech in Fort Worth. Uh, and then you had this weekend at Baylor where – Everyone is just screaming at the top of their lungs. It's the loudest they've had a Baylor crowd. Some Baylor writers were saying in a long time, uh, just screaming at the ref. Scott Drew gets tossed. And then Mac Rhodes basically says, uh, 
F the police. We hate Big 12 refs after the game. Uh, wild, wild ride. Uh, but there are also, I don't know, just some weird stuff in that Cincinnati game as well. Big 12 officiating is just, is it really, really bad? Or have they set a focus on the wrong things? I just, I don't understand. Are they trying to do this? Are they trying to, you know, set the set the focus on, you know, block charges and weird contact issues down low and, and just not call things? I just don't understand how Big 12 officiating can be so bad. By the way, Kyle has joined us. How you doing, Kyle? Good. How are you all? Good. <laughs> do you like Big 12 officiating, Kyle? No. <laughs> uh, I mean, what... What is the deal here, uh, Money? I, I just – the Baylor situation was so bad uh, that it makes me feel like, you know, the last two Texas Tech games weren't so bad officiated, but it just doesn't seem like the quality's there. Yeah, and that Baylor-Iowa State game, I think, will will stay in my mind for a really long time. I watched most of that game live um, after the Tech game and after the back end of the UNC-Duke game. Um, but that game was just complete chaos. Everything from clock management, reviews within two minutes, you know, ejecting Scott Drew because he's a foot out of the coaching box when there have been clips all over Twitter this year of coaches literally playing defense on the floor. Um, you know, that was his first ejection at Baylor, I'm pretty sure. Um, so wow. pretty, pretty wild um, to, to kick that guy out for that. Um, but I think in reality, it, it's such a physical league. Um, and when that level of physicality is present every night, it presents a challenge. But ultimately, you have one of the best products to offer for the game of college basketball within this conference. And I think allowing officiating to continue to get in the way of that is a miscarriage of justice. It really is a shame that you know, every single week there seems to be some sort of hiccup, some sort of issue, even just with like foul disparities, you know, missed calls, flop warnings. I just think, you know, Mac Rhodes, as much as he probably teetered that line and might be getting an email uh, tomorrow from the conference about his comments, I think he's got a point in saying like, we, we've got to do better. Like this, this conference is too good at, at what it does best to be diminished by, you know, people who are on the floor to help facilitate the game, put the product on display for everyone to see. There was a back and forth moment in the game where I was baffled. Warren Washington down low gets hammered. Uh, he almost falls. Ball goes crazy. No call. And on the other end, it looked like a, a block. At, at the very least, the same contact as the other end. I thought all ball, and it was a really quick whistle on Texas Tech. And this is at home. And I don't know if they're – because Iowa State was seemingly getting some calls at, at the Baylor Arena. I don't know if they are – they, meaning the officials, are trying to go full. We're not helping home teams here in the Big 12, but it just didn't seem uh, correct in a, lot, in a lot of cases. Maybe I'm just being a homer there, but – uh, it is what it is. Kyle, what were your thoughts or some of your thoughts on uh, the basketball being played? Uh, and are you freaking out like the other three people that were freaking out on uh, on Twitter after a losing streak? 
I cannot cap. I did not see the final 30 minutes of the TCU game, so can't really comment on any officiating down the stretch. I heard Micah Peavy turn into Steph Curry for a couple hours on a Tuesday night. Love that he waited till he was wearing purple to start doing that because, goodness gracious, I saw him shoot 46% from the free throw line um, in Lubbock. So that's awesome. Uh, before we move on, I guess I, I'm backpedaling quite a ways here to Tuesday night. I, uh, I did some digging because I think that we might have fallen victim to a bit of a conspiracy there. The Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo, one of the most reputable rodeos in the state of Texas and the country. It's a big deal. It comes around this time every year. And I thought it was a heck of a coincidence that the night we were scheduled to play in Fort Worth or in TCU's arena in Fort Worth, they made that Texas Tech night at the rodeo. So people like my boss who have tickets to the rodeo, he knows I'm a big tech fan and alumnus. And he's like, Hey, do you want to go to the rodeo? And I was like, sure. This is back in November when we secured the tickets. And then a couple of weeks out, I realized it's the same day as the TCU game, which I would have gone to the basketball game had I known. And I'm, I'm offering the tickets to other tech alumni that I know in Fort Worth. They're like, oh, no, sorry, we're going to the basketball game with our family. And so actually, I went pretty high up the food chain, guys. I, I was in a meeting with the mayor of Fort Worth, and I said, do you think this was a coincidence? I introduced her to a new segment we do here on the Gouch. I said, I said coincidence or something different? And she was like, I don't know. Let's ask. I, I think he was like part of her security detail or something. He was a tech alumni, and she was like, yeah, he says that he thinks it's a conspiracy. And then the day after the TCU game, I was at a like a happy hour event hosted by Chancellor Mitchell. And I got his ear for a minute. I said, do you think that was a coincidence that Texas Tech night was the same night we were playing and forth? He was like, oh, I think it was just a coincidence. So mixed reviews there. But it wouldn't shock me based on some of the lengths that TCU has gone to in the past to keep Texas Tech fans out of their stadiums and arenas. Something to monitor if, if Kirby wants to call in a favor next next time around you know we didn't get a protected rivalry in football tell them we're not going to Fort Worth during the Fort Stock Show and Rodeo you can send us there early in conference player we'll go in late February but we're not going that two-week stretch so anyway that's why I missed the TCU game I would never really press the panic button after a road loss in this conference it just kind of is what it is said this after the wins and I'll say it after the losses. If you, if you go 11 and seven in this conference, that's crazy good. And you can do that by winning every single home game and then going two and seven on the road. Like that's how hard it is to win on the road. Um, the Cincinnati game kind of sounds like it was our flu game. I couldn't really tell what was going on, but I remember thinking after the first half, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a half of McCaslin coached basketball where I came away disappointed by the effort level. And to their credit, I think they were trying to play through some stuff there and just not much you can do. So to come that close to winning what is probably one of your more winnable games the rest of the schedule under those circumstances kind of sucks. You know, it feels like, you know, kind of when you when you steal one on the road in Norman or on the road in Austin and you give one up to a team like Cincinnati at home. Cincinnati's still a good team, by the way. I think their net ranking is actually higher than yours after Saturday. But uh, it sucks to not hold serve at home in the Big 12. And then, yeah, maybe I'm not following the right people on Twitter. But I saw about 100 different people 
begging and pleading tech fans to quit freaking out. And I didn't see a single tech fan freaking out about the loss. So maybe I don't follow enough chicken littles on Twitter or I'm not in enough group text with chicken littles, but I don't know. I feel like our fans were worried that there was going to be some huge tidal wave of like, Oh God, McCaslin lost a game in Lubbock. Like we're doomed, but I didn't actually see any of that. So I sucks to go and two during a week, but it's a tough conference. That's why you can pound your chest after beating just about anybody in this conference. Cause those wins are hard earned. And you can lose to a bunch of teams in this conference and, in my opinion, still hold your head high and think, yeah, they're a really good team. They're also going to be dancing. And to me, that's kind of what Cincinnati is. So definitely need one of the next two before this, you know, turns into a really bad kind of losing streak. But I'm not worried at all. I mean, Ryan kind of covered it. You've got deficiencies as a team. I don't think anything new popped up, though. Like, we knew you weren't very deep. We knew you don't have a ton of size. We knew that you're not great at rebounding. It just kind of sucks for all of that to culminate in the same game that Chance McMillan is not scoring as much as he is used to. And Joe Toussaint is still kind of in a bit of a slump. So when all that happens at once, it's going to be hard to win because you you don't have a huge margin for error in conference play. But no, I'm at like a one and a half on the panic meter out of 10. Uh, yeah, and I, I feel like we collectively as a podcast called uh, a little bit of the deficiencies, not the Cincinnati game, certainly, but that TCU game. Uh, after the Houston game or right before the Houston game, we talked about how Houston was a bad matchup. Uh, and then I, I kind of was pontificating and asked money, what are the teams in the big 12 look like Houston athletically? TCU is one of the first ones we talked about. Uh, and Baylor, Baylor is another team you're, you're coming up playing them in the next couple of days. Um, so it could be more of the same there with the matchup problems, but. Uh, you're looking back and forth between TCU, Houston, Baylor, even Iowa State now, uh, as we kind of talk about power rankings every single week in the Big 12, especially on Sunday nights. Um, Kansas, I think, has fought back a little bit to be back in the top echelon. Houston, uh, losing to Kansas this week, I still think they're there. Uh, Baylor and Iowa State played a really tough game. I think they're both still up there. TCU is up there. And I think Texas Tech's still on the edge. Uh, right there with all of those teams. So that's the top half of the Big 12. Uh, I think you can rank it any way you want to, <laughs> given any Sunday. Uh, would you put Kansas back on top now that they've won a couple in a row and beat Houston pretty badly at uh, Allen Fieldhouse, or are you still putting Houston at top? I still don't trust their depth. I think I think they've got too short of a bench. I, th- I think they've got ball players, especially in their starting five. Um but good teams, especially good teams in March, are, are typically pretty deep um, where you've got at least, you know, two or three guys that you can really count on to come off the bench. And so I, I think Houston still has the top notch for me. But if Kansas obviously keeps winning basketball games and they never should have been an underdog at Allen Fieldhouse, I mean, come on, even if it's Houston. Um, but I think I think Kansas has, you know, they're they're making this stronger argument. I called them frauds. Hands up. Last episode, my mistake won't happen again, but I, I still don't know if they're deep enough to to be as good of a team as I think a lot of people think they can be. Do you know when the last time they were dogs at home was? Um, do you know? No, I'm, I'm legitimately curious. That seems like just a thing that doesn't happen. I was going to ask. I was going to try to guess, but 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Bill Self, early Bill Self, before Bill Self, I don't know. I mean, they lost to Kentucky that one year in the SEC Challenge by like 20 or 25 points, but that doesn't necessarily mean Kentucky was favored in that game. It feels like Tom Brady at Foxborough, like you're just not going to give points in that situation. 2021 Baylor was the only other time they've been underdogs at Allen Heald Fieldhouse under Bill Self. 2021 wow. Baylor. That's huh. post, post-national championship Baylor. Interesting. I mean, Kansas wasn't some slouch that year, were they? Or was that national championship Baylor? It wasn't. They won the Big 12 that year. But that was the team with Mark Vidal, Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, Davion Mitchell. Uh, that was a nasty lineup. Do you know if Baylor or- won? That's a good question. They lost. They got absolutely walloped. 59-83. So kind of a similar outcome. Baylor got walloped? Yeah. I wonder if there's some guy, you know, every better has different angles that they like to play. I wonder if, I wonder if there's some guy out there who's just always waiting. He's like, I'm just going to wait until the Jayhawks are getting points at home. He bets once. And he won, that, he won that bet three years ago, and he was like, I'm rolling this over to the next time they do it. And he saw Houston was giving three and a half or whatever it was and was like, my time to shine, baby. The only time he makes bets. I mean, isn't Mahomes like thirteen and one and one against the spread as an underdog or something like that? Something crazy. Like at some point, you just have to you have to make a rule. Like Kansas is never an underdog at home. Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes are never underdogs at home. You know that kind of thing. Patrick Mahomes. Speaking of Super Bowl week. Chiefs uh, landing in Las Vegas today, some of them. I guess they'll all be there uh, today or tonight. Uh, And rest easy. They did the math, and Taylor Swift will be in attendance. Uh, The embassy of Tokyo, I think the American embassy in Tokyo or something, put out a statement that there was uh, plenty of time. They they were urging uh, Tokyo citizens to not freak out that the concert would be canceled because she tried to get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, okay. She looked out being in Tokyo versus somewhere in like Europe, or that's a much more doable trip. Or like Australia. I've got two more hoops thoughts. Okay. One of them from the Cincinnati game, one of them bigger picture. I would be remiss if I did not talk about Robert Jennings' performance. Against oh, yeah. Cincinnati. Let's go. Absolutely had the game of his life. Um, you know, I, I've been pretty hard on him this season. I think, you know, he stuck around and and that's a great thing. And when you've been in a program multiple years under multiple coaches, I think there's a certain expectation of, of how you're going to play and contribute. And it hasn't really played out to that point until this Cincinnati game. I mean, he was a machine, 14 points, career high, shot seven to 10 from the field, had four offensive rebounds, two defensive had a really good pass out of a draw up that was kind of a play that's run for Warren Washington. And he executed it like he's been doing it in practice every day. Um, I, I legitimately thought there was an argument for him to play more minutes in the second half over Warren Washington. And I, I just 
could not have imagined saying that before, you know, that first half that he played against Cincinnati. And so I don't know if y'all have any Bob Jennings thoughts, but that performance I think was huge. I have one that then I'll let Kyle speak second because I know he had that he called the Bob Jennings game this week. He just missed it by a couple of days. Uh, I did think that was the first going back to Mark Adams. I was baffled half the time on his substitutions and hockey line changes and all the things he did and, and who he was playing and why he was playing them. I was always confused, especially in that second year of the Mark Adams tenure. Even the first year, uh, I was confused a lot of the time. This is the first time in the McCasland era where I was really confused as to why Warren Washington came back into the game and played so much in the second half. He obviously was off. Didn't look good. Uh, couldn't make a shot. And Robert Jennings was playing really, really well and was a spark off the bench. I thought he should have played more in the second half. Do you win the game if Bob Jennings plays 10 more minutes? I don't know. But uh, that was the first McCasland decision I thought was kind of weak. Um, Otherwise, hey, shout out to Bob Jennings, grown ass man. I'm going to throw a couple things out there. Y'all know I can talk some Bob Jennings. First off, it's better to be early on predicting the Bob Jennings game than late. A lot of people thought it would never happen. I thought it was coming in Norman a little bit early. It's like buying a stock a week too early. It's still going to the moon, so better early than than late. It it was weird. I've never seen a guy. I've never seen a switch flip that quickly, I don't think. Because I was listening to the first few minutes on the radio driving back home. And, you know, Warren Washington got a second foul. And, like, Hacks and Level were talking about, okay, Jennings coming into the game. They're going to need some minutes from him tonight with Washington in foul trouble. And, you know, I didn't see any of this. I'm just listening to their description of it. But essentially they were like, hey, like, he needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be more physical. You play eight minutes a game. Like, you're not going to foul out. So, Basically, don't be afraid to, you know, get in there, get dirty. And it sounded like he wasn't doing that. They subbed him out. He, um, I don't know, I think he missed his first shot attempt before, like, making his next five or something like that. But it was one of those coaching moments we've talked about with McCaslin. Like, Jennings comes off the floor, and he goes back into the game, and, like, all of a sudden is Dennis Rodman. Um, he's grabbing boards. He's tipping uh, extra possessions out to his teammates. He's flashing the athleticism that we always thought was there. Um, his putback dunk was insane. He almost had a two-handed slam that would have brought the house down at the USA. And so it was weird. It's like, I mean, all season, the guy gets no minutes. When he goes in, kind of just is there to fill some time until Washington can come back on the floor. And then he comes back into this game and is, like, arguably the best player on the floor. Um so I hope that that's permanent and that something clicked with him and he now is comfortable, confident, and he can replicate that to some extent. And I guess I'll I'll leave my final thought as a question. Um, you know, I'm not a professional odds maker by any stretch of the imagination. One of the worst lines that I ever made was actually a prop bet with way back in the day, a young Ryan Mainville who was a guest on our show at the time. And this was during the non-conference phase in year one under Mark Adams. And I don't know if y'all remember how bad Bryson Williams was in the non-con, but we're playing like these quad three teams and he stunk. Meanwhile, Daniel Bacho flashing this athleticism and people are excited about Bacho. 
And I remember I asked Ryan a prop bet. I was like, who gets more minutes per game at the end of the year, Daniel Bacho or Bryson Williams? And I thought it was like a legitimate question. I don't remember how Ryan answered, but the fact that I even asked it is asinine because Bryson Williams turned out to be the best player on that team, in my opinion. In Big so 12, for sure. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lob a question out there at the risk of Daniel Bacho versus Bryson williams myself. One of this team's greatest deficiencies is that you have one player who's six foot eleven, and if he's defending, or he's got a body put on him during a, a rebound attempt, we have nobody else on the floor. The other four guys cannot rebound the basketball by and large. We have another guy on the floor named Joe Toussaint. Hasn't looked so great lately. Am I out of my mind for thinking that Jennings could play the four at the same time Washington's at the five, and you? kind of just remove Joe Toussaint from the equation a little bit. I'm not saying give all 32 of Joe Toussaint's minutes to Bob Jennings, but is there a world where if the other team has a certain lineup or personnel package where we need more size, has Bob Jennings earned enough trust to play at the same time as Warren Washington and we go down a guard? Man, you want to, you want to ask offensively too, but Joe Toussaint hasn't been very good offensively. So I don't know what it changes. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit worried about what it would do defensively because typically just a general rule of thumb in this conference has been if you're playing bad defensively, it's it's not a bad idea to get a little bit smaller, play some small ball, and try and defend the perimeter better. But I don't know if they've even been on the floor at the same time this season. Um, I, I would guess pretty definitively that they haven't. Um, and so maybe, you know, you just want to see it at some point, kind of just throw them out there. Honestly, this this might have been the best game to do it because a lot of Cincinnati's strengths are are based on the inside and they're, they're such a big team. But I definitely think, you know, I, I think the rotation will stay steady, at least for now. Um, but I do think there is a legitimate argument for, for Robert Jennings to be getting, you know, five more minutes per game if he can continue to contribute at even a level close to what he showed against Cincinnati, because that's a huge needle mover for your team. I don't think you need him to put up a double double every night or, or get damn near it. I just think you need size, you need minutes, you need physicality. And then the thing with him has, has really just been execution. Like it's just been rebounds bouncing off his face, not doing great in defensive positioning had struggles finishing around the rim. Kyle, I think it's a good point about, you know, those early minutes, he kind of got a chance to reset. And then it was like all of those problems were gone. You know, outside of that missed dunk, he played a really, really clean game um, for the remainder of the contest. And so I thought him starting the second half with the starters over Warren Washington, obviously, you know, he was still in the locker room with whatever else was going on. Um, but him, him being in the locker or him being in the starting lineup to start that second half, I thought was a gutsy move. And, you know, maybe you had no other choice. But that that does not happen if he doesn't have the first half that he had. So I think there's definitely an argument for him to kind of move up the bench a little bit, get some more minutes. I think another way you might see Jennings play next to Washington at the same time, this would be a little bit less drastic of a change. But if if Jennings could give either Darian Williams or Warren Washington a breather, and like we're a little small when it's Williams and Jennings at the same time, or maybe we're a little bigger than usual if it's Jennings and Washington at the same time, and then you keep your three guards on the floor. I don't know. But I think 
you've run into this now a few games in a row where you have to sit Warren Washington because he's got two fouls in the first half and Gas has played him very little, maybe not at all, when he has two fouls in the first half. I know different coaches have different philosophies on that. I, I think it's easier to play a guard with two fouls than a seven-footer that everybody's attacking on every offensive possession. And so, yeah, like he, he, we're going to need him in in more games one way or another. And I'm, I'm just showing that out there that if, if size is one of our biggest disadvantages and you're getting almost nothing from Joe Toussaint, maybe it's worth experimenting. Like put him out there for four minutes together, see how it goes. You don't have to like commit to that long term. I'm certainly not offering a prop bet on who gets more minutes the rest of the way out, Jennings or Joe Toussaint. But I think Jennings flashed enough with, with how little depth you have. I mean, you kind of have to continue exploring what's there with, with Bob Jennings. You don't have a ton of other choices. So I'll, I'll be very curious to see if there is a lineup where Jennings and Washington play at the same time. And if they do, how that goes and kind of what that looks like the rest of the season. Uh, Beverly has a question for you, Kyle. Where were you listening to Level and Hacks? Uh, so I was driving. I wasn't actually listening to it on the radio. It was DoubleT973.com, and then you could just stream it on your phone. So you're on the app, the, the website, whatever it was. Yeah, I didn't even have the app. It was just on on my web browser. Uh, I want to go back to a tweet from Big Game Boomer. Uh, after Kansas State, every man a whiner, was in first place or uh, at least winning some Big 12 games early there with uh, with uh, with with their starting Big 12 play. Uh, they had just gotten beat by Texas Tech, but then beat Baylor. And Big Game Boomer tweeted, I believe, a picture of Jerome Tang and said the Big 12 runs through Manhattan until proven otherwise. They are 1-6 with a loss to Oklahoma State since that tweet. Uh, what the hell? Is going on with Kansas State in the in the later half of January and now opening up and losing in Stillwater in their first game of February. They have to play Kansas, BYU, TCU, Texas, BYU in order before they get West Virginia at home. There are 363 Division One college basketball teams. Right now, Kansas State is 347th in turnover rate, and they are 291st in three-point percentage. And, you know, after after the Kansas State game, I, I think I said, you know, if they can protect the ball and they can start making shots, they're going to be a, a good team. They're going to be a tough team to beat. Neither of those things even look like the most remote of a possibility. Their oh. offense is in disarray. And it's crazy because their defense right now is 26th in Kimpom. And they look like a, a bottom feeder. Like they just lost to one of the worst teams in this conference. They Oklahoma State might be the worst team in the conference. I think West Virginia has more going for it right now than Oklahoma State. And so if they cannot clean up the offensive game, this this is just going to continue to happen. Yeah, I'm going to have to revise my early season estimate downward. I think this might only be an 11-bit league if Kansas State keeps doing this because their net is bad. They don't have a lot of quad one wins, maybe only the one against Baylor. I, just, I don't think they're going to win enough games to get in. 
which was kind of unfathomable to think a few weeks ago. But here they we have are. a two percent chance to make the tournament right now per T rank. Not happening. And coming off last year, what they were elite eight. Jerome Tang is the the next hot name in coaching, and now there's rumors that he is trying desperately to get out uh, and replace Musburger, who's trying desperately to get out Musburger, Musselman, who's trying desperately to get out of Arkansas. A little triangle there. Speaking of triangles. Everybody's trying to go to Louisville? Yeah, and then everybody – it's like they're trying to get to Louisville. I guess Tang is also in the mix for Louisville. Uh, Louisville and Musselman, and if Musselman goes to Louisville uh, or if Beard goes to Louisville, they'll replace – there and then Baird maybe goes to Arkansas. Just a, a weird mix there. I I think Chris Beard to Louisville makes some sense. Yeah. I remember hearing that when he was here. And then after he left at uh two docks, Jeff Goodman told me that like a true blue blood, like UNC Duke would never hire him because he was too rough around the edges, but like a Louisville might. Mick Cronin was if it gets Louis him out of the broadcast track. booth. Sure, that guy's brutal. Yeah, he is respectfully. Where was, where was Mick Cronin? That's uh, he's at UCLA. I think you're thinking of Mike Crean, Kyle. Sorry, yeah, I was thinking Tom Crean, Tom Crean, Cronin, George Crean. Guy. Yeah, the George guy is awful. Well, coaching and uh, in the booth, he was really bad at Georgia. His his comments about Pop being outside of the huddle and him making a huge deal of that when he had his head in between his knees, clearly trying to like keep himself on his feet for most of the game was was pretty pretty hilarious to watch play out as like somebody with common sense that could see like there was clearly something going on. Yeah. Um, but it's just really funny to to kind of hear someone ramble down a, a train of thought where there's just really no reasoning behind it. And then there was uh, the Cincinnati. I think we've associated with this guy a little bit, uh, the Cincinnati Twitter account that said, uh, well, I, I've not watched a lot of tech basketball, but pop seems like a cancer. Then it was like, Whoa, come on, buddy. That's, you know, that's a little bit too far, but the, every broadcast has things to say about pop because of what's going on, you know, off the floor. And obviously that uh, carries on to the floor as well. Uh, that guy deleted that tweet really quickly and was like, oh, I wasn't talking about anything else. But There was also a Kansas Twitter account, uh, Rock Chalk Blog or whatever. I talk about them sometimes, but uh, they were like, man, Tech sucks. And then they were like, well, I, the only game I watched was Villanova, so I haven't really watched it. It's like, <laughs> it's like, well, then, yeah, you think Tech sucks? That was the worst game of the year. Oh, anyways, um, let's see. Any final thoughts on basketball? I want to talk about Cliff Kingsbury real quick. I've got one. I'll make it brief. Kelvin Sampson talks a lot about, um, you know, just because a guy isn't scoring doesn't mean that they're playing good basketball. And so I want to talk about Joe Toussaint for a second. And I want to start by talking about some of the things that he's doing well, um, because right now he is not scoring the basketball well. I think he's still doing a really good job at getting his teammates involved and making the right passes. Obviously, coming off of an eight-turnover game, there has been stretches where he has not seen the floor well. He has not made good reads. 
but I think he still has playmaking instincts and abilities that you desperately need um, out of a veteran guard. Now, if you look at every Big 12 game outside of the Texas game, which I thought he played a really great game in, was probably one of Tech's best players in that contest, played a huge part of, of winning that game. Outside of the Texas game right now in Big 12 play, Joe Touchant is shooting 32% from the field, 36% on two-point attempts, 21% on three-point attempts. He is averaging four assists per game, which is a positive, but 2.6 turnovers to go along with that, and only 8.7 points. And so I think there's definitely something to be said about, you know, hey, let's let's try and continue uh, the playmaking. Let's try and clean it up. Obviously, the turnovers have to get better. But you just need more out of a out of a veteran lead guard who at points in your non-con really looked like he was going to be a catalyst for this team. Um, just did all the right things, made veteran plays, scored big buckets. He's just the the adjustment to Big 12 defenses is hard for every single player. It makes sense. This conference is lengthy. It is athletic. It is really hard to score in the paint. Um, but I, I, I think he's got to find something. And it really may just come down to being more aggressive. A lot of his drive attempts have stalled, you know, at the free throw line with him just kind of picking up his dribble or kind of chaotically trying to draw a foul. I think he's just got to get better at consistently getting to the rim, drawing contact. That was a huge plus for him right now. I mean, 32% from the field from your, one of your most veteran players it's just it's it's going to handicap you, and so I think this is definitely an area. I think I said it a few games ago where, hey, he's he's kind of off track. You're going to need to see a big game from him soon. Go to the film room, try and find something to work on. But it it doesn't get easier from here. You're playing a, a Baylor team next that obviously has elite defense, has really good lead guard defenders. Uh, I'm just kind of worried about the trajectory of of how this is going outside of the playmaking, which even at times is is kind of unpredictable and and has been a liability at some points. Yeah, some uh, some people, not me, were comparing Joe Toussaint's Big Twelve run with Davian Harmon's uh, late Big Twelve action, way more dribbling than uh, doing good things, but obviously. Mayanville, you're you're seeing a different kind of game a little bit. Well, I won't put that word into your mouth, but uh, it doesn't feel like you're out on uh, Toussaint yet. I still think he's shown things that you know are definitely valuable, and I I really do think part of it is just being more aggressive. I I think he's just got to kind of make it make it more simple. I think a lot of it is trying to draw contact. Obviously, you're you're not going to get those calls in this league this year. You've just got to put your head down and get to the rim. He's picking up his dribble too much. He's running into defenders and kind of passing out of it. I, I still think there's an ability to kind of get him to the rim, run some pick and roll actions that you've run for pop, just see if it works. Um, and so I'm not totally out. I think there's a chance, you know, for this to turn around and, and get back on the right track. Um, but it definitely has to, like it has to for this team to to hit its ceiling. Did y'all see my tweet about Joe Toussaint? Your your poem? Yeah. I liked it. 
That's for uh, premium Twitter subscribers only to follow my live Twitter account. It's a beautiful tweet. I wish I could have retweeted it. Well, you can't, so. Yeah. Uh, all right. Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, there have been 13 coaches. This is just really quick math, so don't quote me on this, but 13 Arizona Cardinals coaches since the merger. Roughly, how many of those head coaches had a bidding a better winning record as a better winning percentage as a Cardinals head coach than Cliff? Give me Bruce Arians and Dennis the Menace Green. Uh, and Ken Wisenhunt. Oh, oh, Ken Wisenhunt. Would not have yeah. guessed that one. Uh, and Dennis Green did not have a better winning record than uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, but they are who we thought they were. Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, let's see. Going back, going back. Jim Hannafin, barely. And Don Coriel. NFL's a tough biz. Than Cliff Kingsbury. But Tech- th- tell me this. I'm trying to get to something here. Tell me this. Why do people, every job that Cliff Kingsbury is talked about or gets, go back to, this is the only man that couldn't win with Patrick Mahomes, and he's failing upwards and just keeps getting these jobs like he's some kind of make-a-wish guy that hasn't earned a single damn thing in his life and hasn't worked hard for anything and just kind of fails upwards because his name is Cliff Kingsbury and he's pretty. Like, explain this to me. Because every single time, like I'll, I'll read a quote here. Got to respect how he's turned the only guy to not win with Patrick Mahomes into a career. And you get these tweets from everybody. Every time Cliff does anything. The Cardinals' job sucks. The Cardinals have sucked forever. And he did better with the Cardinals than 15 other guys since the Super Bowl merger. But we're acting like he failed out of the Cardinals and that was like the only time the Cardinals ever sucked. I guess I see both sides of it because it kind of is his fault that our defense was ranked 258th in the country while he was here. Like, no he has doubt. to wear that. No doubt. So I think it's fair to be like, hey, you had the greatest player of all time on your team and went five and seven. But what was the offensive rank? Sure. Yeah. And that'd be for and, for just an offensive role. Yeah, and that, what job did you just get? An offensive coordinator? Yeah. But I also think people are way too eager to. Like they did this with Sean McVay when Sean McVay was his stock was soaring and then all of his assistants were getting interviews. And I, I don't want to go like too far down this rabbit but people were just like, oh, if you've had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, you can become an NFL head coach. One of those hires that was panned at the time was uh, Zach Taylor with the Bengals. And then in year two or three, they're playing for a Super Bowl. Um. Cliff Kingsbury inherited the Cardinals when they had the number one pick because they were the worst team in the league. I think they won like five games his first year. They sucked still. Barely missed the playoffs year two, made the playoffs year three. Like every single year for three years, they're trending up. Has a bad year. Kyler tears his ACL. New Hopkins was suspended for the first six games or whatever. And you get canned. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a tough biz. Like you can go up, up, up for three years and then have one bad year, and then they go, okay, never mind. We can do better than you, even though our entire franchise history tells you we will not do better without you here. And so, yeah, like, in a lot of ways, this is going to sound ridiculous, but, like, the younger 
the sexier you are, the more people are going to crap on the hire. They'll, they'll just be like, oh, he's only getting his job because he looks good in a suit and tie or whatever. It's like, no, he's, he's one of the best offensive minds in the game, college or pro. He's demonstrated that repeatedly. Does that mean he's a good recruiter? No. Does it mean he's a good CEO of a college program? No. Does it mean he's a good NFL head coach? Maybe not. We haven't really seen him with, you know, what I would call a, a franchise with adequate infrastructure or resources. Uh, but does it mean he's going to be a bad offensive coordinator? No, I doubt it. That's why the market tells you every single time he's available, his phone is blowing up off the hook. And unless he wants to go live in a cave in Thailand, then his phone is always going to ring. No matter how many times he gets fired, somebody will need a quarterback's coach or offensive coordinator, college or pro, and he will always be at the top of their list. Just as annoying to me. What was the um, – which hire was Jamel Hill railing on a few years ago that turned out to be an amazing Dan, hire? Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. Yeah. They did that with um, – is it Mike McDaniel or Mike McDonald at, in Miami? McDaniel, yeah. They were like, oh, this is another white privilege hire. You know, same deal. He was just associated with Kyle Shanahan, A – his offense is really good without Kyle Shanahan. B, they found out later that he was half black, and they're like, oh, I guess we have to retract that nonsense. So Cliff is like the handsomest, whitest, youngest guy available in all of these job searches. And so people are going to hate on it when he keeps getting jobs, but it's like everywhere he's been, trust me, the offense has not been bad. And when it is quote-unquote bad, it's bad relative to when it's like number one in everything. So – if he goes to Washington, which it sounds like he is, I mean, we'll see. Right now his quarterback is Sam Howell, which put up some good numbers this year. I don't know if I'm putting Sam Howell above a ton of guys, but I don't know. See what happens. Yeah, or it's Caleb Williams because they have the second overall pick and Caleb Williams doesn't want to go to Chicago and they might pull in Eli and draft him and trade him to the to the Redskins or the uh, Commanders, sorry. Yeah. I don't know. It just you could do worse than Cliff Kingsbury, in my opinion, and, and he hasn't failed upwards. He he earned those jobs because they hired him. Like that's that's the deal. You if you get hired, you earn the job. I guess not always, but it's not like Cliff had a bunch of family in the NFL. It's not like his dad. He's not like uh, North Turner Jr. or uh, Pete Carroll's son or any of these other young. Uh, he's not Kyle Shanahan, who had a leg up. He's not Jay Gruden, who had his brother in the league. He's not any of these other guys who had family members uh, pave their way. He's he's a guy who who went and earned it and took a job, and they he offered it to him, and he took it, and he he did well. They they improved. It always bothered me how eager Tech fans were to crap on Kingsbury all the time, and I know he wasn't a good head coach here. Um. But, yeah, it's like he started off as a New Braunfels unicorn, like son of a veteran slash football coach. Comes to play at little old Texas Tech, becomes a Hall of Famer, 100 career touchdowns. So much has been written about, like, how early he was in the weight room or in the film room. And so I think people kind of – intentionally or otherwise deride his work ethic with the coach bro nonsense. 
but I think he's a really hard worker, really good offensive mind. And most of the people hating on him probably just don't know what they're talking about. Uh, that could be true. He is going to Washington. That's confirmed, by the way. He said it looks like it. Uh, of course, it looked like he was at uh, Las Vegas as early as uh, Thursday or Friday, and then that fell through. So we'll see if it actually goes through. But that is Dan Quinn and Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, we'll see who else lands in Washington. Uh, we'll also see who gets the defensive coordinator job for the Dallas Cowboys. I know we're not really an NFL podcast, but uh, Mike Zimmer, you have a lot of knowledge there, uh, Kyle. That, hires, also, that is probably, so Jerry. They haven't hired him yet, I don't believe. Did they hire him today that I missed? No, they probably will, though. That's, that's uh, so Jerry. Ron Rivera would also be a very Jerry hire. And there was another, oh, Brandon Staley. I mean, this is just failed head coach you here. You're just trying to, to roll. That, that That's the thing. Like, all these guys, head coaches, just get new jobs. No one's saying Brandon Staley's failing upwards. Ron Rivera has failed upwards his entire career. That guy sucks. Uh, but nobody's saying that about old Ron because he's an old grizzled veteran. Jeff Fisher was a head coach in the league for like 20 or 25 years, and his career record was exactly 500. Yeah. It's like <laughs> somebody will hire you if you've been in that seat before. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. Money. If you were the commanders, would you go after Caleb Williams? Would you would you trade up and, and lose some draft picks just for Caleb Williams? Do you trust him? Sure, why not? I think I mean, talent what? wise, I think talent wise I do, but I don't think he has the the umph or the grit, the determination that Patrick Mahomes has carried through his career. If if my choices are Drake May or Caleb Williams, I'm I'm definitely taking Caleb Williams. Or Sam Howell, not losing not losing picks. Would be Drake May. I think Caleb Williams is a basket case. I do agree there, but I I don't know. I think I might roll the day, the dice with uh, Caleb. I mean, this is hard for any NFL franchise to pick any 22 year old and say you are the face of the organization. We trust you to carry us to the promised land for the next 10 or 15 years. But to do that with Caleb Williams, with the the nail polish, the crying, the tweets, it's the demands about, oh, I need to be a part owner of the team that drafts me, I'd be like, no thanks. So many guys with equal or maybe more talent, in my opinion. I know some people think Caleb Williams is like the greatest thing ever. Look, so many guys with more talent or equal talent have come out with such a lower profile, fewer demands. Uh, like Andrew Luck. When Andrew Luck was coming out, he was like what you thought QB1, if it was built in the lab, would be like. And he was just like, yeah, like I'm looking forward to giving it my best shot in the NFL and playing hard for my teammates. Like, I mean, the most rah-rah, like Boy Scout. I wouldn't I wouldn't touch Caleb Williams with a 10-foot pole in the, in the first round. I know the talent is there, but no way. What do you have against nail polish? Uh, that it's a distraction. <laughs> I don't think it's the nail polish as much as what he writes on his nails. That uh, Yeah, is and that it becomes a story. Yeah, I get you. I get you. I don't want my quarterback's outfit or accessories to be a story. Oh, you know he's going to be uh, Russell Wilson. Not Russell Wilson. Russell Westbrook, uh, fashionista, coming up to games. Caleb Williams, the suits. The glasses, the frames with no lenses. 
that kind of stuff. Who else um, is in this quarterback class? And I'm, don't you dare say Bo Nix or J.J. McCarthy. Like, who are the Jay, legit? Jaden Daniels, the Heisman winner. Yeah, I'd take him over Caleb Williams. Easy. And then uh, Drake May. I think those are the five that you just listed. I'd take Drake May or Jaden Daniels without a moment's hesitation. I like Drake May a lot. Yeah. I'm hit I'm hit or miss on quarterbacks. I saw Patrick Mahomes high school tape and was like, this could be something serious. I wish I had written it down somewhere that I could but then like other guys, like I thought uh, Josh Rosen was gonna be a dude. I thought Josh Allen was gonna be a bum. So I'm not exactly grading out super I thought Baker Mayfield number one was absolutely insane. My hit rate is probably about the same as these NFL hey, games. I'll say this about Baker Mayfield, a lot like the Cliff Kingsbury discussion. Nobody else did what he did with the Browns since Bernie Kosar win playoff games. So, hey, say what you want. Say what you want. Baker Mayfield won a playoff game with the Browns, and there are 30 quarterbacks in between him and Bernie Kosar that didn't do that. But you're not judging him. I mean, you kind of are. Like the the ideal when you pick number one is not, hey, can you be better than this trash list of Browns Browns. quarterbacks? It's can you be better than the other 31 starting quarterbacks in the league? And Yeah. Hey, no. Stefanski, man, I, that guy might be a coach. Doing what he Maybe. did with the Browns this year, six, seven different coach, uh, quarterbacks, he got them to the playoffs. Uh, all right. Did you see uh, Tracy Chapman? Yeah. I saw, well, I saw a clip of it on Twitter. Him and Luke, her and Luke, uh, Luke Combs. Nothing can be done without a take anymore. Like I saw a one minute clip of them and people are just like going to war with each other on, you know, I saw somebody say it was the most beautiful performance they'd seen in years. It's like, uh, it was fast car. I don't know. (laughs) I'm sure it was fine. Sure. It was fine. Hey, do you want to do a Barnett Howard and Williams ad read real quick? Yeah. All right, go for it. Oh, do you want me to do it? You said you wanted to. Oh, I thought you just meant, do you want one of us to do it? No, I said, do you want to? I thought you were just oh money. Do you want to do an ad read? No. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, you got uh, three double graduates from Texas Tech there at Barnett Howard Williams, Barnett Howard and Williams, the founding partners. Uh, they do a lot of things across the state of Texas, based in Fort Worth. You can find them at bhwlaw.com, lawfirm.com, law.com, lawfirm.com. Uh, they handle cases from family law. Title IX investigations, and more. Hit them up if you need them. They don't want you to call them, have to need to call them, but if you can call them, and they'll be there if you if you have to. So there you go, BHW Law. How about Reunio Barbecue? Do you want to do a Reunio Barbecue, Adrian? Uh, not right now. Okay, we'll wait. Uh, do you want to do you want to do a trivia, or do you want to save that till Wednesday? And also, do you want to do a giant mailbag in a separate video? Uh, do you want to close this episode and start a new episode and put that one on Patreon? Yeah, do you want to talk Power Two forming a committee? Oh yeah, we should. I forgot about that. Tell me if I'm if I'm the idiot here. Okay, but the. the uh, the overarching, overwhelming majority seems to be like, oh, crap, this is the moment. They're going to break away. 
but I, as I was reading it, like the actual article, not just the tweet, to me, it seems like an absolute nothing burger. I mean, these, trust me, university presidents and whoever, they form committees on crap all the time and they do nothing. They just form a committee to say that they held a meeting and that a committee exists and then they'll come up with like three recommendations to say that like, well, a diverse, you know, committee came up with this. So, you know, it's good. But they don't have authority to do anything. Like, call me when the lawyers say, hey, the Big Ten and the SEC are breaking away. We're no longer part of the NCAA. Call me when they win that antitrust lawsuit. This is a bunch of university presidents with nothing better to do who are sick of NIL and the portal being crazy. And they're going to come up with recommendations about how to put some guardrails on that, make it more universal. I don't think this is the first step of them breaking away. Maybe that happens someday. I know that's everybody's biggest fear. And whether that happens like explicitly, as in those 34 teams play for the national title in football, or implicitly like they get nine of the 12 bids every year. I mean, who knows? But like we already knew we're quote unquote behind. Like we knew that there's a hierarchy here. And to me, this little committee does nothing to change that. Um, and in fact, they explicitly said, like, we are not trying to break away. This is not what that is. I think they're just – somebody needs to lead on the madness that is the portal and NIL, and it makes sense for those two with all their power and muscle to be the ones to do it. I will say – I'm going to throw this out there publicly in case anybody from the Big 12 offices is listening. If these – bozos do try to say hey we're the power two now and these 34 teams are going to compete for their own national championship every year i think the card we should play is well let me back up the reason that would have some credibility if those 34 teams 18 from the big 10 16 from the sec is because they've won three quarters of the national championships in football if you throw notre dame in there i don't know what it would be but like they would have a case to say the best of these 34 teams is basically the best team in the country. We don't need Arizona State and Kansas competing for a football title with us. It doesn't matter. And most people would kind of shrug me like, yeah, that that seems legit. But could those two conferences have a basketball national championship without the Big 12, the ACC, and the Big East? We'll, do, we'll, we'll I'll kick off trivia here. Do you all know – John Wooden won his last title at UCLA in 1975 and the half century since. Do you know how many national championships were won by a team that is currently in the Big Ten or the SEC in basketball? This is out of, I think, 48 because it's 49 years, but one of them was a COVID. All right, so Kentucky has a couple. Um, Indiana has a couple. You want to go? We can go five money. Is there? Billy is there Donovan went back to back. Florida with two, so less than ten. Izzo got one right. Michigan State. They have sixteen with an asterisk. Oh, one wow. of those resides in Maryland, who was a member of the ACC when they won it in I think two thousand two. The UNLV running Rebels from the Mountain West have one. And then the Big 12, ACC, and Big East have 30. So they have twice as many as the quote-unquote power two. 
the other part of what makes March Madness so compelling, obviously, is the Cinderella stories and all the mid-majors. Like, even if the Big 12 ACC and Big E said, hey, we're going to go form the basketball super conference, it would kind of suck not getting to see your San Diego State from last year, your Loyola from a few years ago. That's part of the charm of the sport. That's what gives its postseason an identity. Basketball currently undervalued in TV rights negotiations. Basketball, more room for growth in TV rights negotiations. Feels like football is kind of – the Big Ten's making $1 billion per year. I don't know how much higher it can go than that. So I think the Big 12 and ACC as full conferences and the Big East as a basketball-only conference band together in response to this and say, you can have access to our basketball national championship if you continue giving us access to your football national championship. And I think you leave it there. Like it's sort of a cold war of sorts. I don't think the other two can break away and have a legitimate basketball championship. They can have a pretty legitimate one when it comes to football, but I think it's better for everybody. Like we all know how much college athletics would suck if you went from 133 FBS teams to 34. And we all know how much it would suck to have March madness without all the mid majors, without Kentucky. Like you want all these teams playing together every year. So if they want to break away, I, I would kind of play this hand for all you can and say, go for it, I guess. We're still going to play football, obviously, but you're not allowed to compete in our basketball national title either. You know, Good luck pulling ratings in a 34-team tournament when we have the other 300 Division One basketball programs all competing in a 68-team tournament like we always used to. And you'd have two-thirds of the post-John Wooden national champions in that tournament. Like That would be the basketball conference. You'd still have – North Carolina, Duke, UConn, Kansas, Arizona, uh, Baylor more recently, kind of a new blood type. So that that's the hand I would play if I'm the Big 12 right now. Like you're not going to do anything to quote unquote catch the power two in football. But I think you've got to use basketball for all it's worth. That's like your only counterpoint at this juncture, in my opinion. And so you just say, let's not blow this whole landscape of college athletics to smithereens. We're all going to compete for the same football national title. We're all going to compete for the same basketball national title. And let's lay our weapons down. The last piece of this that I think is worth mentioning is Notre Dame values independence more than just about anything. And I'm sure they would have an invitation to the power two in a breakaway scenario. But their preference above all else would be to remain independent. And I don't think that should be understated that I don't think they want to live in a world where they have to join a conference in order to compete for a national championship in football. They would love to continue to be able to do that independently. So maybe even bring Notre Dame into the fold and say, hey, if you want to maintain your independence, form this little alliance with us. Don't like to use that word, RIP to the alliance. But that's what this felt like to me. It felt like another alliance kind of situation with even less teeth. And I think it's just a group of presidents forming a committee like they do, and they'll come back with some recommendations on NIL and the transfer portal to quote-unquote fix college athletics. But I don't think we're at this point headed toward a breakaway situation, and I hope I'm not wrong. I think some clarification here is needed. If there's a breakaway, it's only in football. I think everything else stays the same way. I think it's just – no, 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 no. If they want to break away in football, tell them, okay, great, and we're breaking away in basketball. If so that's what you want to do. With the, you're you're saying none of your Olympic sports can uh, compete with us either. Sure. Okay. All right. Like you have, that's your only advantage. You have numbers, and you have basketball prestige, history, 
Like it would suck. It but takes do the rest th- of, yeah, it takes it takes the rest of their sports to not allow Olympic uh, competitions in the rest of the NCAA. I think so. Yeah, sure. it's so that, the only card you have to play. play. Okay, all right. Like if you know, if you realize at the end of a hand that the other guy has has you beat, like your last shot is to go all in and hope he folds. You don't have the better hand. You haven't had so the better best. hand since like the beginning of all this. Is is the best football programs? I mean, is that the nuts to follow the analogy? I mean, that's the best hand on the table, or do you? Yeah, think- that's the money maker. Okay. All right. And if they wanted to do it, they could get away with it. And nobody would, you know, like the national audience would still watch Ohio State versus um, Texas for the national championship or whatever. Like your championship between Kansas State and Clemson would not have nearly yeah. the same pool. I have a question for, let's just say Texas Tech fans because this is a Texas Tech podcast. Would you watch less Texas Tech games – in the future that exists outside of the power two um, than you did before? Because if the goal is a national championship and that's the only thing you're losing here without the power two, uh, when has that ever been a reality legitimately for Texas Tech? What's the difference between watching every Cliff Kingsbury era game when you know you're not going to win a national championship and still watching football as opposed to watching it in five years after things have broken off and you have no chance to win a national championship, you're still playing the same amount of games against the same teams and it's still competitive and regional. That's why I think the power two would be stupid to try to break away. It's like, you're going to win the national title of football anyway. Like you're not going to, Kansas state is not going to beat Ohio state um, for a national championship. Y'all are going to get two-thirds of the bids in the 12-team playoff, but I feel like the playoff expansion does lend itself to at least, like, we have the opportunity to earn it on the field. I mean, when the NCAA tournament went to 64 teams or whatever, how many thought that, you know, a 10-seed Virginia Commonwealth would be in the final four of that tournament? So you at least have a chance, like, if in name, in theory only. But, yeah, you're right. And, I, and I've said this, I think it's realistic for Big 12 ACC programs. Like a, a good season is winning your conference. It's winning 10 games. It's going to a New Year's Six-style bowl. Like You're not going to go overtake OU and LSU and Michigan for the national championship conversation. Like, it's just not going to happen. Uh, money thoughts on – Cyclone Larry, 69, saying Prince and Michael Jackson stink. Yeah, I, I saw the ratio. It, it was pretty bad whenever I first saw it. I mean, come on. It, it, you have to at least acknowledge the talent in those two uh, human beings. And then he was he said Michael Jackson sounded like Billie Eilish. I think sometimes we're surprised how young Cyclone Larry really is. I, I always thought he was, you know, around my age, but he's 12. Did you see that he didn't know who Jessica Simpson was? Yeah. And he was confused by the Tony Romo saga. Yeah. That's pretty tough. Pretty rough look, man. Chicken of the sea. Chicken of the sea. Uh, you excited for the new Taylor Swift album? I'm sure that'll be in the mailbag, but. 
I didn't know there was one. Oh, it got announced tonight at the Grammys. I'm, I've been trying to keep up with the Grammys as we go here. What a shock you to learn I don't watch the Grammys. Oh, man. Did you see Killer Mike? No. He got won three Grammys and then got arrested in the concourse. <laughs> Killer Mike walked into my house right now. I wouldn't know who he was. You know, I've heard the name, but I, I couldn't tell you who he was either. I, I think he does a lot of outreach maybe, but I don't know. I've been I've been watching the last couple of episodes of Saturday Night Live, and their guest host is always always somebody I've never heard of, and I feel like they could they could prank me by just making up somebody's name and like sending Ryan and one of his friends out there, and I'd be like, oh, I guess I guess yeah. these guys are like actors in a big new series, or they're in a band. Like I would not know the difference. Uh, Ao something or other was the the most recent host i'd i'd never heard of her yeah i have to google all of these people and they're like in a show on a streaming service i've never subscribed to i'm like okay yeah no wonder are you ready for uh shane gillis no i don't like him or theo vaughn i don't shane gillis is hosting uh, in a couple of weeks did you see the bud light news shane gillis is the new spokesman for bud light yeah but i was confused at the premise it was like they're trying to reach a conservative audience but shane gillis isn't conservative is he well, see, that's the rub. A lot of people think he's an industry plant uh, that is just grifting conservatives. Uh, well, that would but, never happen. But he, but he, uh, he talks like a dude, and so people think he's conservative. Why do these com- can these companies not just say Bud Light? It goes down easy and it's cheap. Yeah. Instead of like picking a side and then overcorrecting so hard, the other like didn't Kid Rock do a Bud Light thing after the? No, he got caught drinking Bud Light at a at a bar <laughs> after he was shooting with AK forty sevens or whatever. Um, yeah, he's a long time Bud Light. Did you see? I think it was Ben and Jerry's. They were like, they were doing trying to do some acknowledgement about like stolen land from Native Americans, and then yeah, members of that tribe like showed up to their corporate headquarters. They're like, "Give us your building," and they were like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> like, why are y'all doing this? Beautiful. Just. Just say Ben and Jerry's. It's good ice cream. Like that will sell more than taking some political stance. You know what would get me to drink Bud Light forever? If they doubled down and had a commercial with Dylan Mulvaney and Shane Gillis. If Shane Gillis wrote a commercial for Dylan Mulvaney and they doubled down and were like, here's here's a funny comedian for you conservatives and the the person that tanked our entire business plan. Hey, Super Bowl prop bet. Will there be a commercial funnier than the paramount plus one that's already no no uh -uh. creed hey arnold sir patrick no that that's that tops it it's not gonna be funnier than that when the music started and is it drew barrymore yeah he goes oh creed's here (laughs) i lost it yeah it might be kind of like niche humor for somebody who actually listens to creed but so good throw the child (laughs) <laughs> and then he sings in the middle of it. The Creed uh, Tramp Stamp. <laughs> <laughs> I never watched Rio 911, but uh I, I've I've seen the clips obviously, and then you know, longtime Rob Bro Show followers on Twitter will recognize the new boot goofing gif. And Matt Wells. Oh man. Hilarious. That was really, really good. It's so funny. I didn't know what uh, Drew Barry. I guess does she have a show? 
on Paramount. Oh, maybe she, maybe her Drew Barrymore show is on Paramount Plus. She's got like an Ellen type show, I think. Uh, lots of people have shows now. Kelly Clarkson has a show. I think Jordan Hudson had a show for a minute too. Anyways, uh, do you want to do you want to do a mailbag uh, opposite of this one, or do you want to just do it here? Is what I'm asking. We can close this one, start another one. Is it a marathon mailbag? Oh, it's it's gonna be a marathon if we do it now or if we wait till Wednesday. Either way. Let's give the people a taste of what being a parlay picador is like. We'll maybe do three questions, right. and then we'll cut it off, and you have to subscribe and go to Patreon for the rest of it, and we'll finish okay. it there. All right. You just want to do the first three, or do you want me to try to pick a few? Whatever you feel like. All right, I'm going to scroll all the way back here. Oh, I'm not gonna... oh uh, we'll start with this one. Uh, how does the Dune 2 popcorn bucket make you feel? Have you seen the Dune 2 popcorn bucket? There was a skit about it on SNL last night, and I guess it's like a, yeah, I don't know what that is. Are you are you familiar with Dune? Not really. Have you read the? You have not read the book. We read it in no. high school. I think if I read it, I would have classified myself as familiar with it. Have you? So you didn't see the the remake either, or the, or the original movie with uh, Timothy Chalamet is in the is in the remake. Zendaya, maybe. Dave Batista. No, none of the Still there. haven't seen it. <laughs> Who was the uh, associate executive producer on it? I don't know. Yeah, still haven't seen it. Uh, there's a tech podcast that's really big fans of Dune. Maybe we should get them on to talk about it. Fan of those guys. Uh, let's see. Are you excited for the return of the double Big Mac on the McDonald's menu? Have you seen this? Seen it, but no. Why would I be excited for that? That looks terrible. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a Big Mac guy, but a four patty Big Mac just seems like two burgers on top of each other. I like a Big Mac. Yeah, there's no reason to double it. You can have too much of a good thing. Money? Are you a Big Mac guy? I get a random, like urge to just eat mcdonald's like once every three months and like if i if i don't do it it'll just kind of like stick in my head for a few days i just like think about the french fries while i'm trying to go to sleep um i love a good big mac i don't think i've ever had a double big mac i don't know if this is the first time they're doing it but maybe maybe that'll be a part of my of my urges to come i don't really any double burger setup is too much for me and i used to eat those like in high school and now i, I look back in disgust like one patty is enough on any burger the, the lone exception being freddy's because they're so thin like i think their standard is actually a double yeah but no i don't need to stack patties on on hardly any burger you're not a i was big double guy no i get single cheeseburgers like little cheeseburgers when i go to mcdonald's i do like the single cheeseburger then you get two of them the uh, the algorithm has been feeding me a lot of recipe videos, which I do enjoy watching. But this guy made he called it Big Mac casserole, and it's it's what you think. Like he puts the ingredients of a Big Mac in a dish. So he's got like some lettuce, tomato, cheese, ground beef, and puts it in the oven for thirty minutes or whatever, and like puts some ketchup on it and eats it. Puts the lettuce in the oven. I think so. I've seen a Big Mac salad. 
where it's kind of like a destructed, deconstructed. It, it was like every, basically every Big Mac ingredient in a dish in an oven and warm lettuce. It's disgusting. Okay. And like this guy has some other videos. Where I'm like, oh yeah, that looks good. And I was like, what are you doing, man? Big Mac cat, like to each their it, own. But like, if I invited you over to my house, I was like, "Hey, I, I made Big Mac casserole." Like, I wouldn't blame you if you're just like, "I'm leaving. I'm not eating that." If it was like ground ground beef, onions, pickles, tomato, like like a salad, and then Big Mac dressing, I wouldn't. There are I like so many better ways to put those ingredients together. If that's what you're craving, yeah. Then doing it in a, as a casserole dish. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, which Big 12 basketball coach has the most punchable face? I've got a couple easy ones. Jamie Dixon. Yeah. Scott Drew. I don't really know why. Um, Bob Huggins was up there for me. Of course, he's gone. The... Uh, let's see. Bruce Weber was up there. Uh, he's gone, obviously. Jerome Tang has, has replaced him. So if I had to go uh, a third, you know, Porter Mosier doesn't really bother me. Uh, face-wise, Jerome Tang seems like a nice guy. Mike Boynton has a nice face. I wouldn't want to punch it. The BYU coach, kind of punchable. I don't know if I could reach that high. He's like seven feet tall. I think I might just go the top two. Well, Bill Self, obviously, uh, in, in certain circles, you want to punch him. But I would go easily J- Jamie Dixon and, yeah, top two, Jamie Dixon and uh, Scott Drew, I think would be my top two. Got to be Jamie Dixon. I I mean, that vampire-looking son of a gun. Do, do you think he's got a, an extreme comb-over back there? Or do you think he just likes the undercut look? You think he's bald on top? Because he he combs it back pretty good. Hope so. <laughs> Hope so. Who are you punching, Kyle? You looking him up? Oh uh, no, I, I I think y'all covered it. Okay. All right. Final thoughts. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. Subscribe uh, on Patreon. Will... Sorry, I was talking with you. Subscribe on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Gambling Gauchos. That's us. Um, We will be back next Sunday or not. You want to go post-Super Bowl episode? We'll tell you later in the week. See how the Super Bowl goes. The Chiefs win. We'll be back. I will get on here and talk about some Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I don't know that Kyle might be inconsolable if uh, Brock Purdy leads the 49ers to a Super Bowl win. Brock Purdy's MVP might break Kyle. Why would that break me? I don't know. I just feel like it will. No, I mean, I'll be. You did a a quick U turn on, on Brock Purdy in the last couple of weeks, I feel like. No, people just make up. Stuff that I have never said, and then roll with it. And they're like, "Oh, you changed your mind on that?" I was like, "No, I just never said that in the first place." 
No, I feel like I could go back and find some instances where you were way out on Brock Purdy, and then now you're do you're it. In. You're in. Okay. Do it. I I uh, picked up Brock Purdy in my fantasy football league in week three, knowing that he would finish as a top ten quarterback. So all right. Well, maybe not. I just remember you saying something like, "I'm ready to dunk on Brock Purdy and Iowa State fans when they were down in the the Lions game." Kind of doubt it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do I that mean, in the episode. I mean, he's on like the greatest team he's ever going to be on. Yeah. So maybe that's what it was. I want Pat to rack up Super Bowls for sure. And so getting there and coming up short feels like a, a blow. But like like I said, he's got nine years to get to number four if he wants to keep pace with Brady. So if he doesn't get it this year, next year the defense will be just as good. Rasheed Rice a year older. See what they do in free agency. And I was I was explaining this to my wife that like it's it's tough. I get more worked up watching the Chiefs in the playoffs than watching Texas Tech do anything. And I was like, it's because I know basically I know like Texas Tech is never gonna win a national championship in football. And so like, yeah, I want us to win every game, but it's a little bit different watching your team when they're like six and four. Versus watching Mahomes do this, and I told her, I was like, I don't think I could. If Texas Tech was in the equivalent position of the Chiefs, and they were like fourteen and one, about to play Ohio State for the Natty, I literally don't know if I could watch it. Like, I would, I would be an absolute train wreck. And so, if Mahomes plays for twenty years and he wins six Super Bowls, the fourteen years that he doesn't are going to feel like some tremendous disappointment. When that's like all I've ever. Like, I've never seen a team that was my team, like Texas Tech or my primary pro sports teams, never seen them win a title in their respective sport. Never seen my favorite NASCAR driver do it. And yet with Mahomes, it's like, oh, if he only gets five, the other 15 years are going to really suck when it's like, yeah, dude, your team's like never win anything. So it shouldn't be like that, but like they're good enough that when they're on the doorstep of it every year, it is disappointing when they don't do it, even though, you know, like they're not going to win 12 Super Bowls in a row or whatever. Isn't four and 10 years better than seven and 20. I don't know. I mean, like I know that he's, he's 60 minutes away from completing the greatest five-year stretch in the history of the sport and putting himself in a position where he has basically nothing but time to catch up with Brady. Yeah. And so, like, if he doesn't, it'll be disappointing. Not because of Brock Purdy, like, no matter who's on the other sideline. But I also know, like, 365 days from now, flip a coin, they're probably going to be back again. So, yeah. okay. Also, found one instance of you, uh, some Brock Purdy hate. So, what was it? So, in a DM to the Gambling Gauchos at 7 19 p.m., I, I forward it to you two. Uh, this is Kyle saying, I want to dance on Brock Purdy's grave so badly, except you called it Broke Purdy. Broke Purdy, yeah. <laughs> Just for the engagement. I wanted to tweet a picture, in full transparency, when the Lions were winning, Lions running back David Montgomery, former Cyclone. Yeah. When the Lions were winning, I wanted to tweet a picture of Brees Hall and, and say, like, I bet Iowa State fans are just thrilled that David Montgomery is going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. But didn't get to do it. That would have been the extent of it, though. Just it would have been awesome. 
Yeah, I probably would have given Cyclone Larry the business a little bit and called him Broke Purdy. Yeah, actually, I, I, I just realized that it said Broke Purdy on like my 4-3 read of it. Because I do think they have seven All-Pros, five of them first team. Yes. Um, I do think that whatever they do this year will be the best thing that Brock Purdy ever does. And so I think the only reason I was excited was if they were going to lose in the NFC title game, they were going to not go as far in Brock Purdy's best year ever as Patrick Mahomes has been all six years of his NFL career, which is past the end of regulation in the conference title game. So that would have been a fun Cyclone Larry tweet, but that's okay. That's not, it's not personal to Brock Purdy. Like, trust me, I wanted Jalen Hurst to lose last year. Brady two years before that. Certainly Jalen Hurst. I'm praying on the downfall of whoever's opposite of Patty Mahomes. No, that's true. Trust that. That's true. Trust. Big (laughs) trust. All right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. We are going to be right back on Twitch, I believe, for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes for a mailbag. Uh, if you want to go to patreon.com slash gamblegachos, you can listen to the mailbag. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday night or Monday, whenever you listen to this, on the Republic of Football feed there with Dave Campbell's. Love you.